I want to do something tonight. I've titled it God's Eternal Faithfulness for several reasons, and I pray what I share with you tells you why. I want to go back. I want to backtrack and pick up a thought because in the obituary that we read, everybody dies, and it's really weird because if you're 969, why does your body just suddenly go, okay, I'm tired? I'm sorry, my kidneys are failing. How old are you? 969, right? <laughs> the heart's just like, oh, it's been 969 years, I'm done. Like, it just ends. No real reason. They don't tell us why they die. They don't tell us if they got sick. We don't know. We just, it's just this weird longevity that they're given. And it always says this about them, and they had other sons and daughters in those 900 years they lived. I went to, and I go to the jail, and I preach at the jail, and there's a woman that comes to the jail. She's in her late 80s, and she's just like my own grandmother. We just walk down the jail together, and we go down, and we preach to the inmates together. She's just such a powerful Holy Ghost woman, and I was talking to her, and she was telling me about all her children and her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren, and she said, you know, we went on a cruise, and boy, we took 112 of us on a cruise. I'm like, my God, 112. And she's only 80 plus years old. So could you imagine how many children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-great-grandchildren, great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great. Could you imagine what Christmas would be like if you were 800 years old? Like the family's coming over. How many? 9,480. Could you imagine how many presents you would have to buy? Now this is for our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandbaby. I don't remember their name. Right? <laughs> it's just such a weird chapter. My brain can't really wrap around it. But the one commonality of the weirdness is they all die. Let's backtrack and determine why. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden, and God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you can eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not, for in the day that you eat it, and then this is the command that God gave before there was any other human on the planet. And the day you eat it, you'll die. Here's the thought. It appears that Adam's death in the day was not simply referring to a 24-hour evening and morning cycle, but an eternal kingdom cycle. So when God said, if you eat this, you die, we know from the narrative that he did not die instantaneously. So it could appear that maybe God was lying because if you don't die instantaneously, maybe God's a liar. And there's a lot of people that judge God's word that way, that the moment we believe the word, it has to happen now to be true. But it doesn't happen happen now to be true. The truth of it is he said it. And if he said it, it's not bound by time. It's absolutely true regardless of time because God is faithful within himself. So the thinking is, then what is... Adam eating, it's called the day that he dies. Well, there's several ways we can go with it. The first is the moment of disobedience, he was cut off from the tree of life. Now, because he's made with the potential to be eternal, a lot of people say, do I believe that Adam was made eternal? My answer is no. I believe he was made human, and the reason he could live forever is the tree of life. It was the tree of life that would give him the ability to continue living without dying. 
So the moment he sins, we go back to the narrative. God steps in, puts a flaming sword in front of the garden, boots him out of the garden, puts a cherubim to the east, and says, lest he go back and reach of the tree of life and take it. This is what it says in Genesis 3, verse 24. This is what he said. He put a flaming sword turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So the day Adam ate, there was not much consequence concerning death except he lost his home. He lost his garden. And he was cursed. You remember the curse that came on him. But he didn't die. They didn't have a funeral that day. The funeral was his death was certain because he was cut off from the tree of life. So what he did is he lost the gift of eternal life. So when God says the day you eat you die, what God means is you lose the right to eat of the tree. And you'll die. The second is the moment of disobedience. It was a moment. The moment they bit the fruit. He was cut off from God's day. And by God's day, I mean Adam lost the gift of eternal rest. He would no longer be able to live at rest. There's going to come a day where he dies. Uh, Second Peter says this about the day of God. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. This is why when I made the joke a moment ago, how could you just die at 969? How could you die at 930? Like what happens to the body that just says done here? I'm checking out. I don't know what happened, but I know this. They could not get too close to the thousand year because they sinned and God said the day you sin, you die. In other words, in God's perspective, the moment you eat, you will lose the right to the tree of life to live forever, and I will take away the right to live a day on planet Earth. You will never reach a thousand years. You will die before you reach a thousand years old. We'll find out in a minute why at 969 Enoch died then. Why did he die at 969 years old? But here's what we need to know is that God is establishing a principle that whatever he says is true even if I can't logically see it in the moment. I can't reason it in the moment, it's still true. He's a healer, but I don't logically see it in the moment. I'm not healed in the moment. He must be a liar. What God is teaching us is that his truth is eternally established and God cannot lie. So therefore, I have to come to, though I don't understand it logically, it's true because. And the because is, He is true. So you can imagine the day I eat, I die, but I'm not dead. And I keep living and having children. It's like, wow, life's good here. Everybody's trekking along. i got 800 years under my belt. I thought we were going to die. I don't know. I don't even know what death is. Let's keep rolling on. But God is up to something. The third one is the moment of obedience. Because the two things Jesus Christ is going to do for us are the two things that Adam lost. Jesus Christ is going to bring back the life of God and the day of God. He's going to bring back the life of God and that He's going to let us eat of the tree of life. 
and he's going to bring back the rest that God offers because Jesus is coming back. Book of Revelation, Revelation 19, 20, 21. He's coming back to establish a thousand-year reign. So Jesus Christ is going to live with humans a thousand years. And when that human, I don't know who that human's going to be, but when that human crosses a thousand-year mark, and a human being lives to be a thousand, it will be a sign to Lucifer himself that the curse of the eternal rest lost by Adam has been conquered and the tree has been made available again because of the death of Jesus Christ. That's why at the end of the thousand years, he looses Lucifer so Lucifer can see that the rest and the life has been conquered because when the thousand years were over, it's a statement made to the eternal realm. And so that's why there's this thousand years hanging out here still waiting to be lived is because it's going to be a sign to the eternal spirit world that Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. Hebrews 4, if you want to just read it for your own, it even talks about that Jesus, Joshua couldn't give them rest, but Jesus would bring them to a place of rest. It was a special rest that he would offer. Because Adam lost that rest. You couldn't live a day with God. And now to show you how weird it is, we don't even get a tithe. If a thousand years is the mark of a human that proves we've been delivered from a curse, we barely make the tithe today. I mean, if we do make the tithe, a hundred out of a thousand, we get on a jar of jelly. But I mean, we even say things like this, well, they're 90, man, they had a good life. I agree with that. You hit 90, you've had a good life. But come on. We just read people could live 800 and 900 years. And if I asked my parents right now, I know what mother would say, so I don't have to ask her. She would say, I just want to live as long as God wants me to. But if I ask you, Umar, would you, would you want to stay here another 800 years? He's like, no, sir. Nope, 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 nope. Done all I need to do. So you understand the power of the curse is it makes us not even want to live a long time. Life's too hard. The body wears out. So can you imagine when we've made it a thousand years because the Lamb of God on the throne and our bodies don't wear out and our joints don't wear out and our kidneys don't wear out and our heart doesn't wear out and... And all of a sudden, I stroll over and they say, it's, it's Mark's birthday. How old is he? He turns a thousand today. And all of a sudden, the trumpets are boop, boop, boop. Thousand-year-old first human to ever make a thousand. And Methuselah's like, oh, man. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a joyous day. Here's the scripture in Revelation 2. Jesus said, anyone who hears and has ears to understand, I will give the fruit to the tree of life. He's going to give back what Adam lost. And then finally, I gave this to you. I've been talking about it, Revelation 19. He seized the dragon, that old serpent, the devil, Satan, and bound him a thousand years, threw him into a bottomless pit, and locked him up. I love it. Because Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, is going to prove that he's redeemed the day of God back that Adam lost. And we get our day back. And here's the thought, not teaching the book of Revelation, here's the thought, though, in the Bible. Eternity doesn't begin until this is over. Because the thousand years marks that eternal life is possible. And we, we quit, I believe, quit counting time and move into eternity. 
So with that being said, I want to unveil this obituary. I want to go through and talk about the names of all the people that died. And I want to, in doing so, unveil Christ Jesus. It is my belief that in the obituary, the beauty of the mystery of God is in the obituary of death, resides the life of Christ. And we will pull that out. The human obituary of Genesis 5 speaks to these two things. The eternal faithfulness of God and His eternal Christ. On a superficial reading of Genesis 5, it's rather depressing. Almost every sentence is, and he died, and he died, and he died. It's pretty depressing when you get on Facebook and you get older or the obituaries. You know you're really old when you're reading the obituaries. And you're like, oh, there goes another friend. There goes another friend. But the obituary that is so sad on a superficial reading has hidden within it the mystery of God's faithfulness and the Christ that he's going to send. And that's what I love about this chapter. Let's read it. Genesis 5. We're going to pull them all out here. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death. This is, I'm just going to give you some scriptures to show you how I'm going to parse it together. And death spread to everyone. So verse 14 of Romans 5, everybody died, even those who did not disobey. So everybody in Genesis 5 dies. Even if you're not a bad person, you die. Even if you had a good life and you're a good man, sorry, you're still going to die because Daddy Adam sinned and everybody's going to die. Romans 5.15, but, now here's the beauty of why I think Romans um, Genesis 5 is so critical. He takes the death of Adam's descendants, that everybody dies, but Romans 5 bridges, but there is a great difference between the sin of Adam, which brings death, and the God's gracious gift. Jesus Christ. So it's my belief that the gracious gift of Jesus Christ is hidden within the death obituary of all of Adam's descendants. On the surface we get Adam's sin and his descendants that sinned in their death, but hidden within it is the mystery of grace, the other man, Jesus Christ. And I think only the Holy Spirit could do it in such a way that we could have a revelation of Jesus in the middle of the obituary. Let's jump in. We're going to take the ten names. There are ten names that are given in the book of Genesis. And what I've done is I've gone through all of their names. I've taken the Hebrew root of their names and their Hebrew name of what it would mean. So, example, my name is Mark. Mark, uh, if you parse out all the you know, etymology of my name, it means strong defender. My daughter Olivia, it means, wisdom, it means light, or yeah, and, and my daughter Sophia means wisdom. My daughter Victoria Kate, victory. My daughter Stella means star. It, we kind of, in our culture, have kind of lost the meaning and we just kind of name them because it's cool now. Well, I just like that name. That's so cool. It's hip. It's, or we name them based on a parent. Well, it was my parent, it was my grandparent. But in the original of the birth of what's going on, God puts the obituary where every name had a meaning. Here's what's strange. Had a meaning that's going to be connected to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Adam. Adam was the first man, and that's what his name means. It means human. Uh, when it says God made Adam, it literally translates in the Hebrew, he made a human. Um, some versions actually say it that way, that God created human beings. 
And Adam lived to be 930 years old and he died. Here's the scripture, Genesis 3, 5, 1 through 5. Here are the descendants of Adam. Verse 2, he created a male and female, blessed them, and God actually calls him what he is. He's human. And Adam lived 930 years and he died. The second was his son, Seth. If you remember what Eve said about Seth, he, she says this about Seth, God has given me another child in place of Abel. Because Cain killed Abel, and when she went back in the tent with Adam and had Seth, her comment when he was born is, God has compensated me for my loss. And in the place of a child that died, I got life. So that's what the name of Seth means. It means a compensation that's in place of 912 years, and he died. So just in Seth alone, I wish I would have done this for you, and I meant to, and time got away from me. To parse out the mathematics of these ten people and how many children would be on the planet by the time they died is astronomical. Of how many humans would be alive with ten humans each having sons and daughters that are living 900 years. The population of planet Earth would have been astronomical of what was going on. So the flood of Noah is not just a couple of thousand people that die off. Here's the scripture. You can just kind of jot the scripture beside it if you would like. Genesis 5, 6. Seth was 912 years old and he died. Seth has a son. His name is Enosh. And Enosh means a man. Pretty, pretty simple. It just means a man. It translates out a man. He lived to be 905 years and he died. And the scripture is Genesis 5, 9 through 11. What's interesting, though, is that everybody's living under a curse, but they're still populating the planet and doing what God told them to do, multiply and replenish the earth, even though they're all going to die off. The fourth one is Kenan. His name means possession. It means possession. 910 years and then he died. Genesis 5, 12 through 14. All I did was just read through the chapter and pull them out as they appeared. Mahalalol. It means the praise of God or the blessedness of God. He lived 895 years. It's a translation of his name. Six, Jared. It means he who is of descent. 962 years and he died. And then we got a few more. Enoch, pretty well known, dedicated. That's what his name means. It means to initiate. It also means beginning. So dedicated to initiate, to be a beginning. He lived 365 years, which is interesting. That's our solar year calendar. And then God took him. It's my belief that Enoch will come back with Elijah in the end and they will be the two prophets in the book of Revelation that show up that are murdered on the street and their bodies lay for three days on the street because the Bible says it's appointed once for humans to die and there's two humans that have never died, uh, Enoch and Elijah. Neither have experienced death. They're waiting. I mean, that's kind of a morbid thought that you're, you're in the eternal realm waiting to come back so you can be killed and murdered on the street like you actually know how you're going to die. 
but they're going to come back and fulfill the scripture. Why? Because God is eternal. Because God can't kill anybody else. I mean, I've heard him say it's Moses, but Moses has already died once. You can't die twice. So whoever he kills that come back that are prophets, they would have had to have already lived. And I believe it's Enoch and Elijah. That was just a you're welcome moment. <laughs> Genesis 5 is that. There it is. God took him. Number eight is Methuselah. He's a man of the dart. His name translates out from the Hebrew roots that his death shall bring. That when he dies, his death shall bring. He's the oldest living man that ever lived at 969 years. And he died. Genesis 5.25. Two more. Lamech. It's a very interesting name. Some say that it's really uncertain what his name means. But if they work through the Hebrew root words of it, they come to this conclusion. It means powerful and despair. We would get our word lamentations from it. To lament is kind of where our word of lament would come out of, a despair. He lived 777 years and he died. It's an interesting thought. We may pick that up next week and talk about why. <clears throat> Here's his scripture, Genesis 5, 28. And then the final one is this. Noah, everybody knows him. We're going to really dig him out. And I left you with this because we'll talk about his death later. That at age 600 years old, the flood came. When Moses was 500 years old, God showed up to a 500-year-old man and said, I have a job for you to do. You're going to build me a boat. I'll be back in 100 years to check on you. And at age 600 is when the flood hits in Noah's life. A hundred years, we'll talk about that much more later. And here it is, I gave it to you in Genesis 7, 5. Noah did everything God said and he was 600 years old when the flood covered the earth and he came onto the boat to escape the flood. I left it here because this is an interesting thought that God is going to show his faithfulness again. Because everybody is going to die at the same time. We'll talk about the reasons why. And I've heard people say, why would God kill all these people? The good ones, the bad ones, surely not everybody was bad. That is debatable. We'll talk about that. But you have to know that God had a right to do whatever he wanted with these humans because they had rebelled against him and he had already told them that if you rebel, you die. So he's justified if nothing else. It might not feel fair but it's justified. It's no different than the person getting convicted of a crime and the law says it's 25 years to life. Well, don't get mad if the judge says life because that's the law. So God laid a law, you eat, you die. So when everybody dies or grounds open up and kill people or God says just kill them all, let's don't get too mad at him because he already told us this would happen. He's only proving his justice of his righteousness. So let's look at the obituary. Here's what we get if we take all the names and we just list them out into what they mean. So here they are. I'll give all ten of them to you. If we just parse them out, this is how it would read in a sentence. A human shall come as a compensation in the place of mortal man that possesses dirge and grief but the blessed God shall come down to initiate the beginning and his death shall bring the despairing rest. Then in the middle of the death, every name 
is a part of a sentence that preaches the gospel. A human, Jesus Christ, shall come in the place of mortal man, Adam, who has the possession of grief because he sinned. But the blessed God shall come down from heaven into a body and he will initiate the beginning. The beginning of what? The new life, the new birth. And his death shall bring the despairing, the hopeless, the ones that are cut off, the lost, the sinner. He shall bring them rest. So in this obituary, if we just take the meaning of their names, God has given us the beauty of the gospel right in front of us. That before the tragedy of Genesis 6, the message of the gospel is given to us in the mystery of the people that made the obituary. I'll leave that up there a minute and let you get those names down. My belief is that's the power of understanding the beauty of reading and studying and meditating on Scripture. Because if you get in and mine out the truths that every time you mine it, you will find Christ in all ways. And I'm sure in all of those names, if we went through all of the histories of their life and the things they faced, it probably doesn't feel like at all that anything is happening. But yet God, and this is the view, I don't have time to teach this tonight, but this is why the body of Christ is so important. Because if you pull any one of these out, the story doesn't make sense. You have to have all ten of them together to, compi to compile the message of the gospel. It's the beauty of the church. All of us together tell the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all have a gift. We all have something we bring to the table. We all have a story. We all have a testimony. We all have a let me tell you how I met the man that saved my life. And all of that together preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. This thought that I can be a Christian and not have to be part of the body of Christ or not have to be part of a local church is the craziest thing you will ever hear. Because what it means is, I believe in the Jesus Christ, but I'm not going to be part of the gospel story. What is the gospel story? It's me in fellowship with other believers so that the blood of Jesus Christ can be known. And that's the beauty. So in this, not only do we see that these ten obituaries tell the gospel story, but it also tells us that humans in life with each other make up the body of Christ and tell the story of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. It's the beauty of why I think church is so powerful. It's the mature and the immature together. It's the carnal and the holy together. It's all of us walking, becoming who God made us to be. We're working toward rest. We may come in at number one, just a human. Just a miserable, low-down low human. We might have times along the way where things are going good and times where things are grief, but God has always taken us to rest, the body of Christ. Let's do this now. Let's look at this man called Methuselah because it will show you how this eternal faithfulness of God is really working itself out in this chapter. It's an interesting thought when we talk about the oldest human in the world. But what God is going to do for us is use him uh, to testify to something. 
Uh, if you go, you know, you can do this on your own or not if you want to. Uh, it's definitely not scripture, but it's good reading if you want to, you know, get some others. The book of Enoch. But in the book of Enoch, who was the father of Methuselah, it says that God came down to give him a prophecy of, of, the, of the end of the world, of when God would bring judgment on the world. And so when Enoch bursts Methuselah, he names him when he dies, it shall come. Because God had given him, in the writings of Enoch, God had given him a prophecy that his son, when he died, judgment would come. And judge, here's what's weird in that the prophecy was given. And judgment couldn't come until his kid died. So Enoch names his boy Methuselah. And Methuselah means when he dies, it shall come. Uh, it was a prophetic warning. God was going to use the birth of Methuselah as a prophetic warning that something is going to happen when this kid dies. And here's what's weird about God. God never tells us the day he's going to die. He just says when he does. When he dies, something will happen. When this kid dies, and I wrote it down at the very bottom in asterisks and quotations, uh, his death shall bring, that's what Methuselah means, but the translation of how we would say that is when he dies, it shall come. The prophetic warning given to Enoch was that his son Methuselah on the day of his death would be the beginning of Noah's flood. So the flood could not come until Methuselah dies. And the moment Methuselah dies, 969 years later, the rains come and all the planet is done. But what we have to know about God is God is not trying to sneak up and surprise us. God, is, God will always let us know what is to come. 969 years. You say, why does God give them 969 years? Because God is not willing that any should perish. God doesn't want any to die. But at the same time, God wants you to know when He prophesies to Enoch... It, and he says, you know, here's your son Methuselah. Name him Methuselah because when he dies, it's going to come. And I'm sure there were times where we thought, well, what's coming? Well, what's going to come when I die? My name means arrow. My name means dart. So whatever, whatever bullseye I hit, what's going to happen? When I, what is the bullseye? God didn't even tell him what the bullseye. That's the weird thing about prophecy. God speaks this truth, and then yet there's all this obscurity to it. Well, how long is he going to live? Well, when? A hundred years? Five years? It's kind of like Jesus saying, behold, I come quickly. Okay, you mean 2,000 years later? Because that's not quick to me. That's really, really slow to me. But if a day is like a thousand years, then Jesus is like, I'll be back quickly. When? In two days. Dude, two days, 48 hours. No, 2,000 years. Oh, man. Hey, when are you coming back? You say you're coming back. Well, you know, it's not for anybody to know but Daddy. And Daddy ain't going to tell you. It's like, dude, just tell us so we can be ready. No, I don't want to blow it. But I am going to go ahead and prophesy and tell you I am coming. Oh, and, and behold, I come quickly. But I'm not going to tell you when. Oh, you're kidding me. Why do you dangle the carrot in front of me? Because I want you to trust that when I give a prophetic warning, I mean what I say. And though it might not even happen in your time, I'm still true. But I want you to live every generation like it's going to happen now. Amen. It's going to happen. When is Jesus coming back? Now. 
And the problem is Peter will say he'll, he'll be such a long suffering to come back that we'll begin to scoff and make fun of it. And you know, he's probably not coming. But he gives a prophetic warning at the birth. Probably nobody's even thinking. By the time we get to Genesis 6, nobody's thinking about a judgment. They're eating and drinking and marrying anybody they want to marry. Because a 900-year prophecy we forget really quickly. Just like the church has forgotten a 2,000-year prophecy, I'm coming back quickly. When Methuselah was 187 years old, he became the father of Lamech. And after the birth of Lamech, he lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. And now here it is. It's interesting. Methuselah lived 969 years and he died. It's my belief that on his 969th birthday, when his heart stopped, God shut Noah in the boat and the rain started coming. Here's why I believe that. Methuselah's death was at 969 years old. I believe that was the day the flood began. At 187 years old, Methuselah had Lamech. So he had his first kid when he was 187. At 182 years old, which would make him 369, Lamech had Noah. So when Noah was born, Methuselah was 369 years old. And then at 600 years old, the Bible says the flood came. So if we take 187 when Methuselah had Lamech, 369 years old, 182 when Lamech had Noah, but he's 369. And then at age 600 years, the flood starts. That would be at 969 years, Methuselah dies and the flood starts. That long, long, long before Noah ever showed up, God was already warning people to give them space to repent. I believe it's why Lucifer, when we get into the narrative, Lucifer's working so hard to corrupt humanity. He's working so hard in this 969 years of humans. So rather than letting Methuselah get on the boat, which seems it would be pretty fair, he's go his life is going to be a testimony, his death is going to be a testimony, which is a very interesting thought that his death becomes a testimony of the judgment. It sounds pretty much like the gospel. Here's the thought. Not one human lived to be 1,000 years old, which was a day with God. Nobody could do it. They were cursed. The day Adam ate, he lost it. So at 969... So no other human could ever reach a thousand. Because if a human reaches a thousand, God's a liar. Titus 1-2, God cannot lie. The reason, I don't know, I mean, my I have speculation. Why didn't God let him get to be 999 in 364 days? It's like, I'm going to make it. I believe the space of years that are left between 969 and, and 1,031 years is about the time Jesus' ministry starts to become the blessed life and rest so that once Jesus crosses over to year 33, if you add the death of Adam's descendant Methuselah with the years that Jesus lived, 
The life of Jesus coupled with Methuselah, they in the gospel reach the thousand years, which is why the redemption is so powerful, which is why Jesus says you're born again now. It merged the two together. So 969 plus 33 merges. We crossed the thousand mark. So the sinfulness of man coupled with the righteousness of Jesus and you're born again, therefore we've reached this rest that will come later in the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ. Here's a few scriptures for you. Genesis 2 again. I just gave it to you so you could see it. In the day that you eat, you shall surely die. It's why nobody made a thousand. But Amos 3 is, is what I want to hold on to real quickly because nothing of Genesis 5 was by mistake because God never does anything that he doesn't reveal his plans to the prophets. And Enoch, if you remember, is termed a prophet. And before God ever brought a flood, my belief is that the Heavenly Father Himself came down to Enoch the prophet and said, You're going to have a son. You shall name him Methuselah. And when he dies, it shall come. Because God will never do anything that He doesn't warn through the prophets. Jesus Christ Himself will say, Before John came, all the prophets and the law looked forward to this present time. If you could just accept it. Jesus Himself did not even show up except that the prophets had prophesied it. Here's what's so strange about that. He is coming back a second time because the prophet has prophesied it. He will return. So just as it was prophesied by Methuselah and the flood happened on the day it was supposed to happen. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, came at the perfect time to fulfill the prophecies that were spoken about him. He came at the very perfect time. Watch this. His second coming, coming back, is going to be at the perfect time. I wish he would tell me, but he doesn't because he wants me living every day like it's right now. Here's the conclusion. We'll end a little early tonight. You're welcome. Hang out in fellowship. Right, you can hang out in fellowship and talk about dead people. One thing is certain, though. Here's what I get out of this chapter. God's prophetic word is certain and true. And once it's decreed, no amount of time nor circumstance can thwart its reality. I'll take a few minutes to comment on what I mean. To Adam and Eve, the day you eat, you die, but it was a thousand years later before they even realize what's going on with their death. But time nor circumstance could stop the reality of what God told them. Nothing could stop it. The father comes down and speaks to Eve and says, uh, and to the serpent and says, her seed will crush your head. It, it was decreed. The moment it was decreed, it was certain. Because it comes from the faithfulness of God. But yet that certain of the decree, your seed shall crush his head, is a 4,000 year gap of time. Surely in the 4,000 years, God's a liar. God forgot about me. God did not answer my prayer. God did not heal me. I thought God would, but he didn't. He let my kid die. He banished my other one into the wandering. But know this about God. Though my human mind is skeptical to judge him in an amount of time that I think is justifiable for it to happen, just because it doesn't happen while I'm alive does not make it not true. God is not obligated to honor His Word while we're living. 
He's only obligated to honor his word in the realm of the eternal. This is why when we say, but I thought God is a healer and they died anyway. Yes, God is a healer. Yes, they died anyway. But their death doesn't mean he's not a healer because as they get in the eternal realm, God is the healer. So I cannot judge his faithfulness based on my time frame. If I judge his faithfulness on my time frame, he is a bipolar kind of God. He picks and chooses who he heals and not heals. Sometimes I think he's lying because I thought he told me he would fix my marriage. It's been 20 years. It's still a wreck. Because we're bound to time. Here's the thought. Because we're bound to time, we judge God in time. That's why they kept saying, tell us when you're coming back. Tell us. And he just said, look, you're, you're, you're thinking wrong. You're trying to see my faithfulness in a time frame. And you cannot see my faithfulness in a time frame. It's why I just told you endure to the end. Because if you don't, you're going to be looking for my faithfulness in a time for a manifestation. Here's what I want you to think. The, the faithfulness of God is not when the fruit manifests. The faithfulness of God is the moment it is decreed. It's true because he decreed it, not because I experienced it. Uh, Moses, you're going to go to the promised land. This is the land I'm going to give you. I've talked about this before. Oh, you know, I didn't get it. Moses got ripped off. He didn't get to go. No, he didn't. He got ripped off in his time frame, but he shows back up in God's time frame on the Mount of Transfiguration. What a day. Can you imagine you're Moses? You're up there and everybody knows you. They all come by. Tell us how you blew it. Tell us how you had one foot in and you blew it. Tell them, granddaddy. Tell them how you blew it. Tell them how you spent 40 years with that nasty group of people. And one week before, you blew it. Tell that story again, granddaddy. And then one day, you get a knock on the door. Yep. Hey, uh, he wants to see you. Who? Jesus. Me? What'd I do? He didn't do anything. He just said, come get you. He needs to, he needs to take you somewhere. What do you mean, take me somewhere? I mean, I like it here. Where are we going? I don't know. He just said that he wanted to show you something. He thought it was really cool. He needs you to go with him. And then out of the eternal realm comes Elijah and Moses and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Can you imagine that moment when Moses' feet touched the promised land that God told him? And he's standing there with the Son of the living God in a transfigured moment. And he probably goes back in his mind to the moment he struck the rock and thought, I blew it. But Jesus looks over at him and gives a good old wink to let him know that there's nothing that's too powerful that my grace cannot fix. There's no sin so great that my mercy cannot overcome it. And can you imagine what it must have felt like for Moses when he goes back up into the eternal realm and everybody's like, dude, why are you smiling? Oh, let me tell you what happened. And now they're all at his feet. Tell us again. Tell us again. Tell us what it was like when you were there. Because what you need to know is don't ever let your little penny any time frame on this planet cause you to judge God against your time. He is faithful to the end. He's always faithful. And everything he decrees is faithful. And if you don't get it on planet earth, you'll get it some other time. He's still faithful. That's good preaching. I got myself happy there for a minute. I'm like, hey, I'm feeling Pentecostal. Woo! But once it's decreed, it's true. 
But let me tell you this, it's, it's a, and we're going to talk about this next week. I, w- I don't know why, I mean I try to figure out why, but I'd, the only way I can figure why God would put eternal beings in a temporal realm of time seems unfair. Time feels so unfair. The amount of time we're given is so quickly here on earth now. If we get a hundred years, we feel grateful. Time is a weird thing. I'm not going to teach on time tonight, but I do know this. In my 33 years of being a pastor, I have seen so many people redefine God because He did not measure to their timetable. And they declare Him as unfaithful. They declare Him as angry. They declare Him as mean. They declare Him as He doesn't care. They become an atheist. They become an agnostic. Because I prayed and God didn't do it when I wanted Him to do it. I quoted a scripture, but God didn't do it the moment I quoted a scripture. I had people pray, but God didn't answer the prayer when I needed Him to answer the prayer. So He's probably mad at me. He's probably not true. He probably doesn't heal. Then we write books about it. Because humans are obsessed to bring God into the temporal realm to define Him. And we cannot do that. The only way we could do that is to look at Christ Jesus. He was the perfect example of how to define God in the temporal realm. And here's the thought of how he defined God. Here's how Jesus, God, defined God. He said, uh, I can't do anything except he tells me. I can't work miracles just because I want to work a miracle. I only do what he tells me to do. So he... he in infers that in the temporal realm the way we serve God is this is whatever he tells me to do I'll do it and I'll act like it's true and I'll live like it's true even if I feel like my God my God why have you forsaken me I will hang here on this cross feeling forsaken because I know you are true and that's hard place to get I'll read it one more time this is my take on Genesis 5 It's the prophetic word of God is certain and true and once it's decreed in the ten names that were given, no amount of time or circumstance could thwart the reality that all, here's what's so beautiful, that all along from the moment Adam bit the fruit, God was already working out the rest of Noah. God already saw Noah before Noah was ever here. And in the middle of this hellacious moment, God is already going to provide a rest for people. That's how powerful of a God He is.